these three, um, verse 11. But before we get there, we have to just kind of set up some, some things about God because we have to start at the beginning. If we really want to hold on to this idea of being a missional church, we have to start with God. And not all of these other things, these great things that we've just done and hopefully will continue to do. But we have to start with, with God first. And so we're going to bounce around this morning, which is a little bit uncharacteristic for us. We're going to look at a bunch of different verses. We're going to start with Isaiah 46. And this is what it says. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. <laughs> I love that. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about what I have planned, that I will do. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Before I go any farther, I'm going to pause for a moment and pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your word that you've caused it to be written and that we in America can take this book for granted when other people around the world have to hide it. And so, Lord, I pray that we won't take your word lightly this morning, but you would just instill something in each of us where, where we need to hear from you. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So here God is calling people to remember. He tells them, remember, not only with your mind, but with your heart. Remember. Now in ancient times, the heart was the source of physical and emotional, intellectual energies. So it wasn't just the blood pumper, it was your, the foundation of who you are. Where everything began in you came from your heart. And God is telling us to remember, remember deeply and completely, you bunch of rebels. And I love that about God. He's not like, he's not being derogatory at us. He's just calling us what we are, a bunch of rebels. He says, remember, and so we have to ask the question. Even as we read the, the text and go through, we have to ask the question. What does he want us to remember? Well, it's very simple. There it is. It says, I am God. I'm not God. He, he wants us to remember that he is God, and there is no other. And that's a pretty large, sweeping statement. And that makes other people feel uneasy. If you're trying to be politically correct in the world, you're not going to come to a politically correct table and say, our God is the only God. It makes people feel uneasy. And the only way that I can address that would be to say, yeah, I know it seems exclusive. And so a, a good argument that maybe, not an argument, but maybe a response that we can have in that context would be, yeah, it is. Because the God of the Bible is the only God. And so any other God is not a real God. And for that, we don't apologize for. Because our God is also full of grace and mercy. And then he said this. I love this. I make known the end from the beginning. 
from ancient times what is still to come. And that's, that's deep right there. Even if you're not eating, that's still deep. Okay? What God is saying that he, st- he stands outside time. He sees everything. Everything. The past and the present and the future are, are perfectly the same for him. He is eternal. He is from the beginning. He's always been. He's from our beginning, but he has always been, and he will always be. He's transcendent. He stands way above his creation. He doesn't rely upon his creation in any shape and form. He is self-existence. He, he pulls his existence from himself. And that should be very easy for us to understand who are not self-existent. We exist because of God. God exists because of God. And he's always existed. That's just for a little fodder for around the tables out there as you're talking, you know, lightly about certain things. That God is self-existent and he controls all things. Even the birds that hunt, hunt because God said so. And he calls a person from another place, a man to do his bidding, to do his will. You know what that means? Okay, you ready? You know what that means? That you are here at Oasis because of God. Okay? You are here at Oasis because of God. It wasn't that you just decided to come. And, and uh, so some, I know some of you are like, you know, because you're like me. You're like, mm-mm. You know what? Fine. I'm going to a different place next week. Guess what? You know what I say to that? Ha! Because that's God too. And he would cause you to go to a different place. And I will say this as a pastor. Some people that come to our church are a blessing. Some people that leave our church are a blessing. And, and that's just part of the whole game. And you want to talk free will, predestination? My answer to that is also, yes. I'm a Calminian, so I, I kind of come right in the middle of the two. Not Baptist in the middle, but Calminian. So this eternal, transcendent God stands outside of time and he sees everything and he knows everything. He knows every moment, every moment that's ever happened, every moment that is happening right now and every moment that will happen in the future. God sees perfectly right now. And right now is the only way that we can try to explain right now what God is experiencing because he's transcendent and he stands outside of our right now and he just is. That's the God. He's a big God. And now if we turn to Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So this amazing God who sees everything and knows everything whose plan is going to come to fruition perfectly, not a moment too late, not a moment too soon. His plan will come to pass exactly the way that he has created his plan to happen. This God intimately, 
knows us. This God has woven us, knit us together in our mother's womb. Everything that's physical about you, everything that is intellectual or emotional has been created by this God. And he knows you very, very intimately. Everything about you. My, my first Harley Davidson, well, my only Harley Davidson was a 1972 Sportster. When I got that motorcycle, I began to completely take it apart because that's what you do with a 72 Sportster. You take it, every nut, every bolt, every wire came off that motorcycle to the frame until I was left with just a, an empty frame. And then I decided to take the engine apart. Every nut, every bolt was taken apart. And the transmission the same way. Every nut and bolt. Everything was completely dissembled. And then I took it and I rebuilt it from the ground up. Completely put it back together again. I knew every part on that motorcycle. Every part. My hand touched Every part of that bike, inside and out, literally. I know where things went. I know how things worked. I knew how to fix it when it broke. And believe me, a 72 Sportster breaks a lot. See, that's the way God knows us. Time infinity. Everything about you. And you have been fearfully, wonderfully made by the creator universe this god that's so big that stands outside of time he knows you let's go new testament acts chapter 17 the god who made the world and everything in it is the lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God has made everything. And in the Greek, it means everything. God has made everything. And he rules over everything. Not just the Christian things, but everything. He rules as Lord ultimate, supreme. That is who God is. And he holds it all together. Everything is held together because God chooses to hold it together. And he is not served by us like he needs something from us. He doesn't need anything from us. Okay, you tracking with me? If you believe that God can't do something or be, until you get on board, until you get with the program, you're wrong. God does not need us. And if any way, and if any way, shape, or form that I have ever led you to believe that in any of my teachings, I apologize and I repent. Very simple truth. God don't need you. God doesn't need me. In fact, we, we need him because he gives life. And he gives breath. Did you know that in the last hour you've taken 600-ish breaths? Every one of those has been given to you by God. And God's not a bundler. He's not like, he doesn't go, okay, well, I got some, I'm going to be busy for the next hour, so let me just give them 600 over here, and then I got some stuff to do over here. No, each individual breath God gifts to you 
every moment, each beat of your heart, each blink of your eye, each step that you take, God has given to you. We need him. And then Acts will continue to say, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appropriate times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, God has created all people, not just Christians. And so everything that we've just read out of Isaiah and everything that we've just read out of the Psalms is true for everyone. It does not matter what you believe. These truths are truths for everyone that walks the earth. And he has created each person, every person, each person, to be here exactly at this time. No one is an accident. No one is an oops. You are here because God ordained you to be here on this earth at this very moment in time. My parents were married in April of 1965. I was born in November of 1965. Do the math. I wasn't premature. It wasn't an accident. It was God's divine plan that I be here for such a time as this. And that is true for everyone. Every single person is here because God said so. And he has created us who we are because that was, that was his plan. Not once has God ever went, oh, Jesus, I thought you were watching them. Oh, now what? It's always been God's plan. And so for Christians, for every human being that is alive right now, they are alive because God has ordained you to be alive right now. And you are the nationality that you are. You were born in the country that you were born in because God had ordained it. He didn't want me to be an American Indian, though I think the hair would be cool because they just always have long hair. And I digress. But he made me a Polish, and a, Pol- a Polish Italian. What are you thinking there? Sprinkled with a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I, I consider myself a mutt. But he was deliberate in that making, and he's deliberate with all of you. And so, again, we have to ask ourselves the question, why, why? Why am I here now? Why, why am I here in this place? Why am I alive in 2012? And I think a lot of people ask that question. And here's the answer. The answer is this. God did this so that we, humanity, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. We all come from the same place, the same original source. We have the same makeup. And God wants to be found by his entire creation. God doesn't need us. God desires us. He doesn't need our outside the walls. He doesn't need our fasting. He doesn't need our church. God desires us to have a relationship, to be intimately, deeply in love with him at least as much as we can to reflect back how much that he loves us. And here's the good news. He is not far from any person. No one. You know, the people who killed the diplomat in, was it Libya, this week. God is not 
far from those people and desires that they would, they would reach out to him and know him. See, not only God, is this God a transcendent, eternal God, not only is, the, is this, this intimate creator of each person, but our God is scandalous. Scandalous in his love for all of his creation. That's where we have to begin before we move into Ecclesiastes. We have this God, eternal, transcendent, intimately aware of every single person that he has created and that he desires for us that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and know him. Now, Ecclesiastes. Maybe not now. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let's just take a minute and sit with that that verse. has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity into the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has made, he is continually making everything beautiful in its time. God is on mission. He is on the move. He's not some stagnant God that has just spun the world and walked away from it. He is on mission. He is on the move. And we have, to, we have to look at that first line. We have to look at this whole thing, but especially the first line in the context of where it was written. It was written about there's a season for everything. It was a popular song in the 60s, I guess. There's a time to live, a time to die. Let me read it to you. A time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. These are not things that just happen in our lives. These are things that God sends into our lives. Seasons. Time to live and a time to die. It's, it's going to be, it's gonna be who, we, it's who we are. A time to plant and a time to uproot. It's, it's the seasons that we go through in our lives. These are things that God has sent. And he's going to use every single one of them to fulfill his plan of making everything beautiful. And so, so the, the good and what we would consider the bad, God is using as part of his plan to make everything beautiful in its time. It's all being used. God wants to put it all back together again. 
all of creation back together again. And he is doing it because he is on mission. And that takes some of the pressure off of us to try to, to fabricate, to try to get, get things going. God is already doing it. And all we need to do is join him in what he is doing. We don't have to worry about performing. It's God's gig. Reconciliation. Redemption. Sanctification. It's God's gig. God is doing it. And then it says he has set eternity into every human being's heart. Eternity. You know, when we hear that word, it, it, it kind of does something to us, you know, because that word eternity, just, we just can't gloss over it. It, it kind of, some people it causes a pause or it gives, it gives a sense of maybe just our, our littleness, but it, but it does something to us. We can't, even if we want to ignore the word, we have to deliberately ignore the word eternity because it's just, it's beyond us. It's bigger than we are. And so even if we don't fully understand it, it just causes a check in our spirit. And the way it's used here is in, in the context of there is something bigger than we are. There is something beyond us that we can't fully understand. That there's something more and that we just can't quite seem to figure it out. Maybe it's, it's the meaning of things that we just can't get. Maybe it's the meaning of everything. And God has put this sense of something more into every person's hearts, into every person's being. It's been woven with you from the very beginning. Finite cannot fully comprehend and understand the infinite. That's why it says... No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But that eternity has been put inside of us. It lives there. It dwells there. And it's put there because of his grace. God's grace has given us the gift of eternity. And so this thing that's in us, it's, it's, a, it's pulling at us. It's, it's calling us. It's moving us. It's causing us to question. It's causing us to look. We have been made for eternity. We have been made for something more. We've been made to live in it, to walk in it, to move in it, to be there forever. But for a short time, we've been put here on this earth. At the exact right time, we've been put here on this earth with other people. It's been God's design, but there's something that we long for. It's almost like we're looking for home, looking for a place to belong. When I was doing uh, prison ministry at Manson Youth Institute, I met a young man, and uh, I was very naive going into this ministry. And so I was talking with this young man who uh, was, you know, lived in gangs all his life, or all his life, from about 12 years old. He was about 16 or 17 then. And uh, he was getting out soon. And I was like, man, aren't you excited? You're getting out. You've done your time. And he's like, no, I'm not so excited. I'm going to go home to a mother who's addicted to drugs, and she's a prostitute, and she'll kick me out of the house when her clients come in. I have, I have no home. I have no job. I'm a felon. I can't get a job. I have no money. I'd rather stay in prison because here I found a place where I belong. And I thought, oh my goodness, this kid wants to stay in prison because he, 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 he found something that he belongs to. And he's earned people's respect there. 
and he gets a bed with clean sheets and he gets food and he gets to take a shower. We all have this desire to belong. And so, and, and so too often we just start looking this way, the horizontal, looking for our fulfillment. And, and so we, 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 we work and we work and we strive and we try to climb that corporate ladder and we get that next raise and we get that next promotion and that next raise and that next promotion is good until we set our sights on something else and, and it just doesn't seem to satisfy and we climb and we climb and we're, we're taught, we teach our children at a very young age to achieve. You have to achieve. You have to achieve good grades in school so you can get into a good college, so you can achieve good grades in college, so that you can get a good job. And when you get that good job, then you could start climbing up the corporate ladder and achieve and achieve and achieve. But sometimes it just leaves us empty and something is missing. That promotion is okay, it seems, just for a little while until the next one we hear about. So we move towards that. It seems this thing just keeps coming back and coming back. We can't get rid of it. You know, here's what I'm learning. Satisfaction only begins when we realize that the thing that's going to satisfy us is God and God alone. Everything else is just junk. Though I really do want the iPhone 5, but everything else is is just is just junk. But it's God himself, our Father, our Creator. He is the one that offers the hope that eternity will one day be that homecoming rest that we all so desperately want, that place where we can ultimately belong. And, and I want you to understand something. He does not place eternity, this longing, this this thing that moves and pushes and pulls us. He doesn't place it there to tease us. He places there, places it in us to lead us. It's our, it's our homing device. It's the thing that, that leads broken people. It leads disenfranchised people. It leads humanity to look and to search. It leads us home. If it wasn't in us, if he didn't by his grace put eternity in each one of our hearts and each one of our souls, we would have no idea that there was something more. We would have no idea that we're really just, just visitors in this place and that we can travel to a place eventually that we can call home. We have been created out of the love of an eternal, transcendent God all people, Christian and non-Christian, have been created by this, this great love of God. And in each person, he has put this eternity in. It's our homecoming device to say, you are something more than what you are just experiencing here. There is something much, much better and deeper and amazing. And God will reveal himself to us for eternity. It's that draw. It's, 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 it's that pull. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we will be able to return home. You see, you see, Jesus is the road home, and grace is the compass that points us in the right direction. That's how we answer the call of eternity. And so you might be thinking, all right, what's all this got to do with being missional? 
What's all this got to do with the church being on mission? This has everything to do with the church being on mission. We have this amazing, eternal, transcendent God who is in control of everything. Not even a bird dies without God knowing it. And he is intimately aware of everything that you're going through. Every thought that you have in your mind. He knows the words before they come out of your mouth. That's how intimately aware he is of you. And he has created each one of us. Knit us together. You look the way you look. Not because a mistake God has created you wonderfully and beautifully, exactly the way he wanted to create you. All for the purpose of knowing him. All for the purpose of knowing him. You are in the right place at the right time. All for the purpose of knowing him for his glory. You see, it's always been about God. It's always been about his glory. He's most concerned with his own glory. John Piper would write that God is a big narcissist. And he's concerned with his glory. And we would think narcissism is not such a good thing. But in the context of God being concerned about his own glory, it's an amazingly beautiful thing that I cannot fully understand or explain to you. But I will tell you this, that every person who walks the face of this earth will bring glory to God. Every single person. You will do so by either receiving his divine, perfect uh, wrath, or you will, you will bring glory to him by being a recipient of, of his amazing grace. Every person will bring glory to God. And so this God is taking everything, the good and the whole and the broken and the hurt, and he's putting it all together and he's making everything beautiful. He is calling back everything to himself. Everything to himself for his name, for his glory. He's restoring it all back to shalom, and he desperately desires that his, his most amazing creation, humanity, would be restored back to shalom with him. And so, when we think about mission, we think about seeking justice. And seeking justice is very important for the church to be involved in, but not just for justice and justice sake, so that we would bring glory to God. Because it's always been about him. And so if we come alongside and feed the poor and and help the homeless, we don't do it just for the sake of doing it. We do it because we give God glory by doing it. Because it's always been about him. It's his mission that he's on, that he invites us. Invites us into. And so when we come alongside of the orphan and the widow, and we come alongside the addicted and the broken, it's not just for the sake of doing something. It's to bring glory to God. It's always been about his glory. It's always been about him, his plan, that he's making it to come to fruition. Not about us. It has to start with God. And then it can go this way. Unless we get this. Our efforts are fruitless. And we work in our tired. The house, the, 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 the builder builds in vain unless God is the one who builds the house. 
everyone, every person <coughs> has this desire within them. Something more, something more for them. There's just something out there. And, and too often people have just settled for whatever it is, for climbing the corporate ladder, for, for just putting themselves in, in with a bunch of friends and thinking that's it, or, or even you know pleasures and addictions and things like that are just, we're just constantly looking for our next fix, for the next more. We, and, and, and nothing seems to satisfy. Nothing seems to just be that thing. And every generation that is born into this world thinks that they finally have found it. We have found it. This is it. Only to be eventually disappointed that it isn't it. And they learn that history seems to repeat itself. There's that more, there's eternity. There is no satisfaction without recognizing that we have been created by an eternal, transcendent, loving, intimately aware of you, God, who desires we to be with him. And so our first mission as a church is first of all, we need to be we need to recognize in our own selves that thing that's missing is not your job, your school, your education. <laughs> Things are important. Please don't think that I'm knocking that in any way. But those are all secondary to us being connected with God through Christ. And we as a church come alongside people and help them understand what that restlessness is inside them really is a restlessness that's beyond their understanding, something that just doesn't seem to go away, we can share with them what that is. And then as a church, we show them the road. And that road is Jesus Christ. And we give them the compass of grace that could point them to their home, is God. And if we can understand that, if we can get a hold of that idea that it's always about God's glory and never about our own doing, that it's always about focusing and turning people to Christ and never about just feeding and just helping and just painting, then we truly will be on mission. God, I want to thank you for setting eternity into each one of our hearts. I want to thank you that it's a pulling and it's a pushing. God, I pray that you would help us recognize and open up and understand and learn what it means to, to respond to that. That we would always seek to glorify you. Lord, as we venture through these ideas of what's it mean to be a church on mission, I pray that you would continue to open our eyes 